TED Audio Collective. Hi, I'm Debbie Millman. Canva is great for designing visual content for work, no matter what industry or department you work in. Now, your next presentation with Canva Presentations. Start with a professionally designed template and use it as a springboard for your design. It's a serious time saver. Time to present but can't be there in person? Enter Canva Talking Presentations. Record yourself presenting and add your talking head to your slides so your audience can watch your perfected presentation anywhere, anytime. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I think because I didn't go to art school and this wasn't, you know, an intended path, I had definitely an insecurity of where do I fit in. From the TED Audio Collective, this is Design Matters with Debbie Millman. For 17 years, Debbie Millman has been talking with designers and other creative people about what they do, how they got to be who they are, and what they're thinking about and working on. On this episode, Carly Kuhn talks about finding her footing in the illustration and art worlds. I didn't necessarily ever view myself as an artist. Where do I want to go or what world am I allowed to go into? If you smush the word sartorialist together with cartoonist and add a dash of artist, what do you get? Well, you get Carly Kuhn, that's what. Carly Kuhn is the cartorialist. Her fashion drawings on Instagram got attention, but she was called out of the entertainment business where she'd been working into the life and labor of a full-time artist. She joins me now to talk about the turns in her wonderful career. Carly Kuhn, welcome to Design Matters. Thank you for having me. Carly, is it true you can do a spot-on impression of Janice from Friends? Uh, yeah, I don't know how spot on it is. And I don't know at what point I declared this, but it's pretty loud and and piercing. So I don't I don't know if you want to hear it or not. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Can you share the impression, please? (laughs) Chan LeBang. Ah. I That's hope people stay, stay on after that piercing noise. <laughs> so, so actually, I have to tell you, I I can do an impression of Lois from Family Guy, and I know that you used to oh. draw Family Guy esque type characters. So, oh, Peta. <laughs> oh, I love it. I feel like there's like a world where they kind of almost blend into right? one another. Actually, I think Lois and Janice would be good friends. Yes, I would. <laughs> in an alternate universe. Um, Carly, you're a native New Yorker, but until very recently, you lived in Los Angeles. And I understand that your dad played for a long time in a classic rock cover band. Your brother is a filmmaker and a cinematographer. So would it be fair to say you grew up in an artistic family? 
Yes. And I also have a younger brother who is also very artistic and my mom is very creative. And my dad is actually still rocking out in that cover band. Yeah, I feel like, you know, the combination of my parents and growing up in New York City, where, you know, it's the hub of culture and, you know, fortunate to grow up around theater and fashion. And I mean, just people watching lent itself to being exposed to creativity so early on. I read that you grew up singing and acting and even did theater at a sleepaway camp. I went to this camp, Point O'Pines, in upstate New York, and it wasn't a theater camp, but I think you had to participate in the plays. And I was a little shyer when I was younger. And uh, I think I even when I went to day camp, I I was either told this memory or have this memory of getting up on stage and, and crying at like a, you know, an end of the summer performance. And it's funny because then I would later go on to slowly grow within camp, getting bigger and bigger roles. I think my last three years, I was a doo-wop girl in Little Shop of Horrors. And then I was Adelaide in Guys and Dolls. And then... I was Jesus in Jesus Christ Christ Superstar, which was uh, performed on Parents Weekend, uh, a uh, uplifting performance. Uh, (laughs) Not so much, but we grew up going to Broadway musicals and we're definitely a very musical family. Both my brothers and my dad are all incredible piano players. I quit when I was in fourth grade, which I still am very sad about that I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody that has kids that's listening to this that want to quit piano, don't let them. I know. <laughs> um, but we did even, you know, recently we were all together and there's a lot of singing by the piano, uh, which is kind of one of my favorite things. All at the same time while you were doing this, you were also doodling dresses and thought you might grow up and become a fashion designer. But I actually read that that was just one of the many careers you were imagining happening. Um, What were some of the others? I think comedy was always a through line, you know, watching SNL growing up. So you wanted to be on SNL. Yeah, and I would later go on to take improv classes at the Groundling. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know if it was how some people have that set goal. Like my older brother kind of always knew he wanted to be a writer, director, a filmmaker. And I think for me and my younger brother, we we kind of had different interests, but, you know, maybe we kind of weave to different, you know, things and, and hobbies and career paths along the way. So, and then landed in in none of those fields. Right. <laughs> well, you know, creativity, yes. but well, an unexpected one. You have one. a really interesting and unusual path. Um, you went to Syracuse University and got your degree in science, television, radio, and film. And while you were still in school, you got an internship working on the television show, The View. So tell us all about that. I need all the juice, <laughs> all of it. Uh, I believe it was the summer before I graduated college and our main job as an intern on The View was wrangling the audience members as they were waiting online, which I believe they overbook usually with these shows for the audience because people don't show up. But I guess, you know, it was a very uh, popular summer and 
we would be outside waiting online and have to turn people away. And people were not happy about that. And you know, got called some few names, even though I'm like, I'm just a lowly intern, like I have no power. But, you know, it was kind of that first foray into the world of entertainment and kind of getting a little bit of a thick skin and also being exposed to being on a live set, uh, which was exciting and getting to, you know, being an intern, you kind of got to shadow and and pop in in all the different departments. And who were the hosts at the time you were working there? I know Whoopi. Uh, Elizabeth, Barbara. Oh, what was that like? Uh, See, that's my, that's where I was wanting to take this. I wasn't sure if she was still on the show at that I, point. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say I personally worked with her. Uh, so, you know, cause we didn't really interact much, but I think it was just, you know, that magic of Hollywood or, you know, the entertainment industry and kind of seeing these people up close you know, I, I think it was really cool to just like, see all these women. It was very fast paced. And it was a little bit of an intro into that world, which I ended up, you know, working in. Did you witness any of the on stage or off stage debates slash fights? <laughs> I feel like I did. My memory is a little murky. I feel like sometimes I'm like, I wish I remembered things more vividly. So I can't fully remember, but I I have like a vague memory of being in the control room and and witnessing whether it was fights or even just kind of the chaos of a live show and you know what's going on in the control room and being like go to camera one go to camera two no, no go to camera two go to, oh my god what are we doing you know like that chaotic like newsroom so yeah I think that that was it was something that was cool to see and uh, experience. After you graduated, you figured you'd continue in television, but you were persuaded to consider joining an agency. And the example was like Ari from Entourage. And you got your first official job as an assistant at Creative Artists Agency. So I have have three questions about this particular (laughs) part of your life. How does one get a job at a place like Creative Artists Agency? What kind of work were you doing? And, And just generally, what was it like? When I graduated, I never thought I was going to leave New York City at first and go to Los Angeles. But I think I knew I wanted to be in television and thought maybe scripted and just kind of knew that there was more opportunity. And I think I had a friend that had moved to L.A. and was working at an agency and said, you know, if you don't know exactly what you want to do in the industry, working at an agency is a really great stepping stone because you get kind of an overview of the whole industry. You know, when you work at like a CAA and they represent writers, directors and actors and all the different areas. So you're kind of learning all the different facets of the industry. And so the way I got there, I think it was a family friend of a friend. I do think sometimes it becomes like, who do you know? I think, you know, if you go to a certain school and alumni. It may, I think there was a Syracuse connection, got me into the door. And when I interviewed, sometimes people have to start out in the mailroom, which is kind of like that famous like grunt work. And I interviewed uh, with this younger agent and she said to me, you know, you're the least qualified on paper, but you remind me of a young version of me. So I want to give you a shot. And I was able to just kind of start on her desk right away. 
And what you're doing is essentially rolling calls is kind of like the industry term. So you kind of get on the phone, make the calls like I have so and so for Steven Spielberg. And then you know, they patch patch you through and you're, you know, kind of like expected to take notes and you're adding names to call sheets and then you're also managing inbox emails up the wazoo where you're setting up meetings for agents. Like it's all about setting up meetings and lunches and dinners and drinks. And it's really fast paced. It's also really great to do, I think, especially in Los Angeles, because LA is a very spread out city. It can feel very lonely. And the agency world is kind of almost like a grad school for the entertainment industry. Everyone is around the same age, right out of college or just kind of, you know, their first one of their first jobs and just looking to make friends. And there's an event or something for anything you can imagine, a birthday or this or that. And everyone's kind of going out together. And that's kind of how I made my group of friends. I didn't really know anyone when I moved to Los Angeles. And yeah, going back to your point about Entourage, like Lloyd was the assistant to Ari uh, and so I kind of joke I was I was that character, um, you know, just went from that boss and then worked on her desk for six months and then had to go to a more senior desk that was a little more chaotic. And I definitely developed a lot of thick skin from working there. But I think it weirdly, even though it doesn't directly on paper seem like it would lend itself to being an artist today or, you know, but I think a lot of those skills of just kind of having to like think on your feet, work in a fast paced environment, maybe helped me later on, you know, navigate later things. At the same time you were doing this, you were also performing at Groundlings, which you mentioned. Groundlings is the legendary improvisation and sketch comedy theater. At that point, were you still hoping to get a gig on Saturday Night Live or Second City or something that was more stand-up related? I don't think it was like an actual goal. I'm sure deep down there was like, that would, you know, wouldn't be the craziest thing I would turn away if someone's like, you should be on SNL. <laughs> but I <laughs> discovered like, you know, <laughs> I know. I mean, I, if someone wanted to just put me on, I probably wouldn't have turned it down. But no, I think it was again, kind of why I went to CA first, I was searching. I think I was always searching for what I wanted to do. And I I remember I auditioned in college for an improv group, like freshman year, I didn't make it. And that was that. And I definitely enjoyed it. And when this came about, uh, I think I was dating an actor at the time. And he was, you know, had friends that were doing it. And that was another great way to also meet people. You know, it's really fun uh, when I when I got to start Groundlings and I was taking classes, A, to be in a class environment again, when you've been out of college even for just two years or, you know, a year and a half and you're feeling lost and you just want a little bit, little bit of praise <laughs> when you're being like yelled at at work. It's good to be like, good job, Carly. <laughs> um, but it's so silly and you're, you're, you know, I was meeting people that were so different and eclectic and, and yeah. And, and you just get real, I feel like I got, had like a really weird period when I was in Groundlings because everyone's just like doing voices and like, you know, you're just picking up everything around you and just soaking it in, soaking in all the weird characters around you. <laughs> At that point though, from what I understand, you had stopped drawing 
but you began again, correct me if I'm wrong here, after an unusual experience getting high. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, it's so funny because I'm not someone who smokes. I'm so anxious on my own and just like, it was like one of those LA nights in Malibu, a friend had it. And she hadn't thought about this in a very long time. I'm like blushing because I'm such a like, oh my God, I've smoked the pot. Um, (laughs) But uh, my my friend who is a little bit more kind of of the earth and hippy dippy and had always had kind of like a notebook on her. And I, you know, we were kind of in Malibu, had that experience and and it wasn't anything that crazy. It was probably like not even anything, but um, yeah, it kind of reopened up that creativity inside me. I had it, like you said, I hadn't really drawn in a while. And I just started kind of like doing these little doodles in her notebook. And it then kind of started up again while I was still at CAA. You know, I just would draw friends on their birthdays. Then slowly, like their bosses would see it and they'd be like, oh, that looks like a weird Tim Burton character. Like, can you do me, you know? Uh, But yeah, I mean, I just think I was excited. It it was something that I rediscovered, but didn't really know what it was going to become. It was just, as I said, that like continuous path of searching to wanting to be more creative. At this point, you began working for Chelsea Handler on her television show, Chelsea Lately. Uh, You started as an associate producer and then as management of development and production at Chelsea's production company, but you were continuing to draw and began sketching daily. When did you begin to start thinking that this could be something more than just a, a daily artistic practice, but the possibilities of a career? Yeah. So when Instagram came along, Uh, I remember sitting at a dinner table with a friend and I think I had maybe done a drawing of her or something. And she was like, you know, you should start an Instagram account. I was like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll like go for it again. I didn't really know what what was going to happen, but I was doing these drawings. Initially, I started just kind of drawing my like little weird Tim Burton-esque characters. And then I guess just kind of like what was on Instagram at the time in the beginning, it was a lot of fashion photography, fashion bloggers, street style. And it just kind of organically, I shifted from just drawing the little characters in my mind to I would see an image and kind of just feel inclined to interpret it in my style. But I would just credit who I would draw something and say, you know, inspired by so-and-so. And yeah, at the time, I think I even thought Instagram was just like a photo editing app. I didn't know it was this like public form of expression. Interestingly, I decided to go back to your first, first, first post. So I like scrolled all the way, all the way, all the way back. Oh my God. <laughs> um, you posted your first image on January 29th, 2014. When I did that, I started to look at mine too. And I was so bad at Instagram at the beginning that my first image um, is in the wrong direction. <laughs> it was, I had, I didn't know how to rotate. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) And so it's in the wrong direction. Um, But your first post was a black and white illustration of a pixie girl inspired by a January 14th, 2014 post on the website Sartorialist. So talk a little bit, if you remember, about that first post. Yeah, I 
don't know if I can place myself in, in that moment. She almost looks like um, Edie, you know, from from Andy Warhol's days, Edie Sedgwick. I, like, I don't fully remember, you know, I think what I remember is that someone, one of my friends was like, I can't believe you're, you're putting your art out there for people to judge you. And I, at the time, was in like an improv group that would perform in this like random hole in the wall on Melrose. I think it was called Neon Venus. And maybe we would have like four or five people there. Usually there were like significant others, maybe a little bit more. But that was so vulnerable and scary of your face in front of other people's face being like, you're at a grocery store. You're bumping into someone you haven't seen in 10 years. Go. You know, like that was so scary. So in a way, I do kind of feel like it was exciting to just be able to do something creative and put it out there. And and maybe and I didn't have my name on my account for I don't know how long. I don't know if it was because I was uh, eventually, while I was still at Chelsea lately, I was, I still didn't have my name on, uh, the cartorialist because again, like it's such a weird thing. And when you're drawing and you're working in comedy, you don't want to be like, Hey guys, like I draw on the side, check it out, you know? (laughs) And (laughs) side hustle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I, I think in that way, it was just kind of, I do have a memory of it just being fun and exciting that I was, kind of stumbled upon this new or old new creativity again that it didn't. And and I do think that's why I say, like, I think the improv and groundlings allowed me, even though you don't think improv groundlings to artists is, is a normal uh, path, but I think it gave me that confidence to kind of put myself out there. How did you come up with the name Cartorialist? So I think it was that, the world was fashion and sartorial and sartorialist. And, and then I had this kind of cartoon quality to my work. And then my name being Carly, you know, that like C sound, I think that that I kind of just like blended the words together of just kind of sartorial cartoon and Carly (laughs) and they had a baby and it became the cartorialist. (laughs) Um, you know, and in hindsight, it's great, but also I'm like, ugh, it's, it's kind of hard for people to say and spell, but I, I do, you know, I, I think that there's something that people kind of get a sense of the two worlds combined. Carly, while you were in college, you took only one fashion illustration class. Looking at your early work, it's really well-developed, and you have a voice and a style that's completely unique. How did that happen without any training or consistent practice through your life at that point? Well, thank you, first of all. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that it really was the product of, like, repetition in a a weird way. I would see an image and draw something and and do that kind of almost every day as just, you know, having something as a creative outlet and just trying to stick to something every day. And I even remember when I started out, I would sometimes use pencil because I didn't want to mess up. Like once I started doing it a little bit more on Instagram and maybe people were starting to recognize it, then you get scared and I would draw an image and, and use pencil and then go over it in pen. And I, I kind of felt like I had these like mistakes within my art like early on and wasn't sure if people liked that. And they were kind of these 
flaws within my art that I realized that that's what actually people gravitated towards these perfectly imperfect lines. And I next using a pencil. I like drawing with pen because, you know, if there's a line out of place on a hand or, you know, a leg's a little wonky or an eye's not in the right place. I, I kind of eventually leaned into that. And, and I think it was only because I just started, I was doing it every single day, a little bit every day. And, you know, when people are like, oh, how did you find your style or how did you get good? And I say, it's not about getting good. It's about becoming confident in what you're doing. You know, maybe this person over there, this fashion illustrator was drawing the perfect model on a runway. And I, and I liked drawing the people backstage, you know, seeing the weird angles and, and doing it and, and, and finding myself gravitating to the things that were a little weird, a little bit off. You have such a unique eye. I, I feel like there's an ease to your lines that is so unique. There, there doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like there's tension in the drawing or struggle. It just feels very natural and almost sort of instantly birthed. Thank you. Yeah, I think... Uh, there's that improv side of things mm. too. It's like, you know, they say yes and is what you, the, the, this like motto in improv where you're just supposed to, someone throws you a line, <laughs> no pun intended, you know, they say something to you and you're supposed to yes. And we then went to the park instead of saying, no, it happened this way. And I, and I feel like weirdly, that's kind of how I approach my art. Very improvisational, I don't usually plan out what I'm doing. I, I do maybe have a stack of notebooks of, of failed drawings because, I, as I said, I like to draw with pen and because I don't feel like I get the same quality of line when I'm drawing with pencil unless I'm doing that, something different and it's that's the style. But I still, even with pencil, don't usually erase. And I think that there's kind of like magic that can come when you're just, you know, going and you're not planning it out. Even with my with like murals that I later did, um, you know, that can be a little scary on a wall. <laughs> I'm not like planning it out, but yeah. On October 8th, 2014, you drew an illustration featuring Sarah Jessica Parker sitting on the stoop of the brownstone that she lives in, in the TV show Sex in the City. Uh, she's sitting on a stoop. You can't really see her face, but she's trying on shoes. What happened after you posted this image? So I saw the image and at the time Instagram was that it was instant and it was, you know, chronological. And I remember I drew the drawing and I think I posted it under an hour from when she posted the photo. And I was sitting at lunch later that, you know, afternoon and I looked down at my phone and I get a text from my older brother, Joey, and it says, OMG, SJP. <laughs> and I was like, what? Oh, my God. And she had reposted my drawing and was just like, wow, that was quick. Love it. X SJP. Uh, and the New Yorker girl inside of me just was like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> any girl anywhere. <laughs> I mean, anywhere. Yeah. Like, you know, it was just kind of a like shocking moment. I didn't really know what was going to come of it, uh, but it really did kind of kick off like a, a next round of things that started to kind of happen all organically through Instagram and just showed me like kind of like the power of that platform. 
After the Sarah Jessica Parker repost, you started to get your first requests and commissions. One opportunity that came in was from Prada. Talk about what you did for them. Yeah, so that was all through Instagram. I remember I just got like a blind email. You know, you set up these emails and wait for something to come in. You like email yourself a couple of times. Like, just want to make sure it works. (laughs) Yeah, testing. Um, and And I remember I got this email and it was for a digital sunglasses campaign called Prada Raw. And they were tapping six fashion illustrators or just art illustrators to kind of interpret uh, the line of sunglasses. And they were going to pair us with a animation house and they were going to turn it into an animation. And and they had it all up on this website and it was going to be this big thing. And a friend's like significant other kind of came in to help like negotiate for me because I was just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And let me tell you, it was it wasn't all like roses like the, you know, I did this Prada Raw campaign and it was great. It was dealing a with people like in Italy. So there was a delay. I didn't really know what I was doing. And I did these drawings and I remember I turned it in and the guy was like, you know, these actually aren't what we thought you were going to be able to produce for us. You'll get paid, but like, we're not going to use it. And I was like, I I mean, let me try again. Like, I want to, I want to make this work. I didn't want to just like give up. And you had to draw like 50 different images, slightly different from each image because it's animation. And a lot of the other illustrators worked on computer. I did everything by hand. So like I had to redo everything by hand. But again, I just knew the opportunity was such a big opportunity and they they stuck with me and it ended up happening. So it was a, you know, an early lesson, you know, in hindsight of just kind of saying yes to stuff and then kind of figuring it out along the way or just, you know, learning along the way, even though I was terrified by the the ask at the time. As commissions continued to come in, you ultimately felt comfortable enough to leave your day job with Chelsea Handler and pursue a career as an artist and an illustrator, which is quite astonishing given the notion that you were not ever planning to do this. Right. Um, Was it a hard decision for you to make? Were you nervous? Were you worried about surviving, continuing to get jobs, continuing to sort of be the, the it girl? The thing that was interesting was a lot of that happened while I was still at Chelsea. At the time, my boss, you know, he said, we're going to be going on a hiatus, which in television, you know, some shows kind of go on like a two month hiatus and then come back. And, you know, it was it was February. And he said, we're going to go on a hiatus, but we want you to come work for us back again in May as a producer on this show. So that was a point that I told them. I was like, so I have this Instagram. <laughs> it's kind of been doing this thing. And they, and that's when they pulled it up, like in the room, they're like, who are you? What is this double life you've been living? Um, but it was a great way that I didn't have to make the decision to quit. I was actually, you know, getting paid through that and was able to kind of have it be like a test. Like, should I do this? And if not, after a few months, I could always go back to this job. 
But I think because I was kind of open to saying yes to a lot of different things and just kind of not being so one path oriented, if that makes sense, you know, like saying like, I only want to try and be in galleries. I think the, or I only want to try to, you know, be a New Yorker cartoonist. I think because it was kind of open, that allowed me in a way like to be more open to a lot of different kinds of jobs. Hi, I'm Debbie Millman. Canva is great for designing visual content for work, no matter what industry or department you work in. Now your next presentation with Canva Presentations. Start with a professionally designed template and use it as a springboard for your design. It's a serious time saver. Time to present but can't be there in person? Enter Canva Talking Presentations. Record yourself presenting and add your talking head to your slides so your audience can watch your perfected presentation anywhere, anytime. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. You're growing a business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. You've written about how when this new career path all started to come together, people felt free to offer you all sorts of advice about how how to run your business. Some people felt you should only make originals and not sell prints. Others thought you should partner with a gallery right away. Others thought you should make greeting cards. (laughs) How did you make sense of all the advice and ultimately forge a path of your own? I think it's still a constant struggle. Like, I think because I didn't go to art school and this wasn't, you know, an intended path, I had definitely an insecurity of where do I fit in? I didn't know if I fully felt like I wanted to go that commercial route and and just start doing greeting cards. But I also didn't really feel like I was someone who could be in a gallery or an art gallery. And I think it just became a lot of trial and error. And what presented itself. I think I got connected to someone at the time who was doing Absolute Art, which is another online art platform. So that was, I think, the first art prints that I ended up doing. And eventually I would create my own art prints. But it's hard to say how to navigate it because I still feel like I'm still navigating it. Uh, and, And I do think that I sometimes still get worried or I've been paralyzed by if I do this, am I not going to be able to do this? Or if I do this, am I going to get stuck in this world? And I think I felt that way um, within the fashion illustration world that I got kind of categorized into in the beginning. I didn't view myself as a fashion illustrator, but it also, you know, tied to Instagram illustrator. That was that other kind of insecurity that crept up because why can't you just be called an artist, Mm -hmm. you know? But even and now today, I'm kind of like, but why is that a bad thing to be called this or that? You know, again, I think it was because I didn't necessarily ever view myself as an artist or that, you know, to claim that word. 
and it wasn't my intended path. That's, I think, what had made made that kind of like struggle of where do I want to go or what world am I allowed to go into, you know? You said that at the time you were also bothered by the term fashion illustrator. Um, why did that bother you? With being an artist and a creative is also so tied to your identity and where you are in your life. And I feel like, you know, I was in my uh, late 20s going through some, you know, life changes, relationships and everything. And I just think like my identity, I didn't really know who I was. And I also in the beginning only drew fashion illustration drawings or fashion inspired drawings and nothing else on the page. Like I didn't share photos of myself. I didn't share inspiration photos. And I didn't really feel like I was coming through. Like, I remember when I met a friend in person after she had followed me and she said, I just assumed you were like this fashion girl that like did her hair and always had a full thing of makeup on and would wear these amazing dresses. And, you know, that's not who I am. I wanted to explore more of who I was. And even though I am not my art, it does feel like they're connected. And then on the other hand, I think because I discovered this artistic side of myself later, I was just at the beginning of it. And so I didn't want to be put in a box if I wanted to do, you know, something completely different. And I think that's what happens with Instagram. And my my career did happen in front of like people live, you know, real time. They're seeing me try new things. And so I felt kind of constricted by what, oh, well, people started following me or liking my work because I drew the red dress. So I have to continue to draw the red dress. Uh, And I think that's a a struggle that a lot of creatives probably have even today that, you know, build something on a social media platform. Like if I shift the direction of what I'm sharing, are they going to stick around? But you also want to not just do things for other people. You want to do it for yourself, but it is this kind of line to have to balance. How do you manage that? I think it really just has to do with growth and time. I think it it really like where I am today is very different from then. I think it's also because I feel confident in who I am as a person too and 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 where I am in my life. So weirdly I think it's, you know, getting older, having more experiences, working on yourself and and getting to a good place where you feel confident in yourself so you know, you'll you'll lean into what you want to create versus what you think other people want to create. And usually that's what people respond to. And people will come along that journey with you. You know, they I think when I started doing these faces, it was kind of a response to me feeling stuck in this one world in fashion, this feeling like, okay, there's another fashion week coming up. People are expecting me to draw this, but I don't feel creatively inspired to draw draw that. And that's where like kind of like the one line technique came into play. It was almost meditated for me and a way to kind of break out of this anxiety of feeling like I had to do something. I had to draw off of an image. Now I could just, you know, put pen to paper, not feel like it has to look a certain way, try something different. And it was, it was like kind of a self-soothing exercise that morphed into then a different kind of style. And, you know, people kind of came along the ride with it and some people didn't, and that's fine. (laughs) Do you get a lot of feedback from your, from your followers and fans? 
you know, I'm lucky. I feel like I don't have too many haters. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, you know, once in a blue moon, I remember I... I think like at the height of when things were kind of going on, I remember someone said, you know, I like art, but this isn't art. Oh, please. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, things like that. And I think now I obviously am able to kind of laugh at it and be like, you know, they probably maybe they're having a bad day. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, I think it is really exciting, too, when people say, you know, oh, my God. I've had, you know, certain drawings where I've incorporated text into that's just maybe as simple as like, can I have a hug? And I've had friends, you know, reach out to me and say like, this really turned my day around, which is like the most incredible thing or or a stranger DM that to me um, or comment. Uh, so on the I feel like there's more positive feedback that has come, you know, through the social media platform that is really special that something as simple as you know, a little drawing with just of like, I love you, or I'm thinking of you or whatever it is, or even just the image itself, you know, how it can impact someone's life is is pretty cool. In addition to Prada and Absolute, you've since been commissioned by Elle magazine, Bombay Sapphire, the jewelry brand, Alexis Bittar, Capitol Records, and more. How do you get most of your clients now? It really has been through Instagram. i don't know a percentage, but I would say the majority of all of those you named and what has continued to happen has has been through Instagram. It's just a simple either DM or they email me, uh, which is crazy. <laughs> You're also working making fine art and you do sell prints now. Do you have different methodologies in how you approach working for a client or working for yourself? For commissions on the kind of more traditional art side of things, they have tend to be more the faces that are a little bit more abstract. So when it's when it's that, it's a little bit more of the trust within me as the artist that, you know, the person that's commissioning me knows this style is a little bit more free form. You know, I've definitely limited the kind of commission work that I've taken on now. And that's just from kind of experience and and learning and saying yes to a lot in the beginning to be able to say no now to commission work that I don't necessarily think is what I think is my best work or what I enjoy doing. Uh, I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah. yeah. (laughs) You've also moved into home furnishings and installations. How different is it for you moving from two dimensions to three? When I switched from kind of, you know, the digital page to then the page to installations to then textiles. That was an exciting transition because I think there's a lot more room to play when you work in design and textiles. And I remember when I started creating wallpaper, you know, what maybe was my original drawing was maybe a simple figure on a page, on a white blank page. When you put that into a pattern or a repeat pattern or you add color, like I typically, you know, my work is a lot of black and white and I feel like I kind of unleashed this or re- or discovered a different side of my style when I was designing more for textile or wall coverings because it is a different medium. It's It's being viewed in a different way you know, you can kind of take risks a little bit more because maybe a piece of art on a wall is is a very specific thing. 
And I really have found this love for design and home and textile. And so I'm working on launching a design studio, hopefully by the end of the year, which is really going to be wall coverings and textiles and kind of focus on that and still, you know, pick and choose the things that I do. And I'll still always share because it's still the core of what I'm doing are these drawings and I just really have kind of a love for being able to play a little bit more and have things be within the home. So that's something that's exciting. So when do you officially launch? Are you doing this on your own? Are you partnering with a furnish home furnishings manufacturer? Tell us everything about this. I think <laughs> I think I'm getting a scoop. Yeah. Um so I am working with a company that will be actually producing the wall coverings and textiles and they're based out of Brooklyn. So they'll be actually creating it, but it will be something I'm doing on my own. You know, I want to kind of test it out and explore and see where it goes. And I think you, you know, I can have the control over it. And I feel like because I have an audience of people that have already expressed interest in it. And I had wallpaper for hot second and you know, it was very well received. So I think it will be good to be able to kind of put it out there on my own. And and I'm hoping by um, fall, winter to kind of put it out there. That's really exciting, Carly. Will it be under the name The Cartorialist or your name? It will. I think it will be Cartorialist Studio. Congratulations on this super exciting news. It's really Thank quite you. wondrous to watch the path of your career. Carly, the last thing I want to talk with you about is your recent wedding and your move back to the East Coast. So first, the nuptials. Um, I understand you got your marriage license at the Honda Civic Center <laughs> in Anaheim. How glamorous. Super, se- super sexy. <laughs> and you were both wearing sweatpants from what I understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we we got engaged actually the weekend of lockdown in New York City Central Park. It was Friday the 13th, March 13th. Oh, wow. A day before so, the lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. Real time. Poor Danny, you know, already having the anxiety of having to propose or not having to, the anxiety of proposing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, like the world is going crazy. Uh, we were supposed to have an engagement party and last minute canceled. But we, the two families got to be together and we sang by the piano in very uh, cute Matt's fashion. Uh, the most important thing was, for Danny was that his grandma would be able to be there. So we brought the wedding to grandma. Uh, we did the the marriage license nuptials at the Honda Civic Center. Uh, but we were lucky to just do just our two families in Boca at grandma's house, at yeah. Boo Boo's house. <laughs> and in Boca. In, yeah. In Boca <laughs> in, de- in December. Um, and we... Uh, my younger brother, Jake, is a tech wizard and he works in like events. And so we didn't do the Zoom wedding. We actually did a YouTube link and it was cool because friends and family were watching from all over, you know, with their kids, with their parents. And, you know, it was in Florida and then we came back to L.A. and we didn't think we would ever be moving. But as we were thinking about starting a family, we, you know, Danny's from Michigan I'm from New York and both of our families spend time a lot in Florida. And we, you know, decided as we start that next chapter, we want to be closer to family. And that was really the main reason for for moving. So moving to Miami, staying in a warm weather climate, 
Uh, we'll have to adjust to the humidity, but <laughs> we'll get through it. I saw on Instagram that you designed your own wedding invitations. How was that for you? Cobbler and shoes kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, I I think, you know, there's kind of an expectation with certain things that I do. Like, oh, you're going to do, do the drawing for this. But, you know, I did, for this case, I did want to do it. It just, it felt special. And especially because it wasn't with everyone getting to send out like a little, I still sent out a paperless post um, with the drawing on it. And, you know, it kind of had that New Yorker style, which felt like us. So it was, it was sweet, you know, and no one was telling me like, oh, can you make these edits? I got to just do what I, (laughs) (laughs) That's a nice thing about working for oneself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you anticipate this move to Florida influencing the direction of your practice at all? Is this, is this where you're going to open up a in-person studio? How do you see the work being any different, if at all? I think that the reason I kind of decided to want to launch this studio was because moving, I don't really know where we're going to live. We'll probably be in an apartment or condo for a little bit. Whereas in LA, I thought, you know, we were maybe going to be in a house and, you know, starting a family. I, I wanted to kind of have something that not felt like a little bit more traditional, but be able to kind of focus on something. And that, one of the things that I realized that I love about what I do of all the different kinds of things is being able to kind of draw anywhere. I think with design, uh, with like wall coverings and textiles and, and moving to this new city, I'm able to kind of do that in whatever type of space that I'm in. So if it's not a big, you know, a bigger space, that's okay. And I'm kind of open to like seeing how I'm influenced by Miami, you know, it's, will feel very different. I'm excited about that because I definitely feel like my art and home design meld together. So I'm, I'm excited to be able to explore a new city and, and kind of welcome the new inspiration that will probably come about. Well, I can't wait to see what you do next. Carly Keen, thank you so much for sharing so much about your life and the way you work. And thank you for joining me today on Design Matters. Thank you so much for having me. You can see more of Carly Kuhn's work at The Cartorialist on Instagram and read more about everything she does and I'm sure her upcoming studio at cartorialist.com. This is the 17th year we've been podcasting Design Matters and I'd like to thank you for listening. And remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Melman, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Design Matters is produced for the TED Audio Collective by Curtis Fox Productions. In non-pandemic times, the show is recorded at the School of Visual Arts Masters and Branding Program in New York City, the first and longest-running branding program in the world. The editor-in-chief of Design Matters Media is Zachary Pettit, and the art director is Emily Wyland.